As many of you would know, either from previous uh, sermons elsewhere or even previous sermons here, the word evangelism is derived from the Greek word for gospel, which is evangelion. Therefore, evangelism basically means gospelizing. Gospelizing. So we could say gospelism. Obviously, that's not a word in our English language, but that's basically what we're saying when we say evangelism. We're basically saying gospelism. Or when we say evangelizing, we're going out evangelizing. We're basically saying we're going out gospelizing. This is so basic. And yet it's so important as we consider the task of evangelism. It's important because it teaches us what evangelism is not. First of all, evangelism is not saying, God bless you, or I'm praying for you, or something vaguely spiritual like that. Many people feel like they're evangelizing when they're bold enough to mention God in a conversation, to let someone else know that they're a Christian. Maybe even to put a a bumper sticker on the back of their car or something. They feel like, man, I'm really evangelizing. I'm letting people know that I believe in God. With the basic meaning of the word evangelism in mind, have you gospelized someone when you say to them, God bless you? You have a conversation with them and you say, God bless you. Warmly and sincerely, and then you walk away. Have you gospelized that person? No, you haven't. There's nothing in that message for them to believe and so be saved from their sin. When you say, I'm praying for you, you have a conversation with someone about something hard that's going on in their life, and very sincerely, you say to them, I'm praying for you. It's a good thing to do, but is it evangelism? With the basic meaning of the word in mind, that evangelism is gospelism, have you gospelized that person? No, you haven't. Furthermore, evangelism is not to be equated with having any significant spiritual conversation. Again, many people feel like They're evangelizing when they're talking about the existence of God with an atheist. Or the truth of the Christian religion over against another religion when speaking with a person of a different religion. And many people feel like they're evangelizing when they pray for someone in the hospital to recover soon. Or when they pray with a grieving family for comfort over the loss of a loved one. But in trying to convince someone that, say for example, there really was a worldwide flood, or that the scriptures really are reliable, are you sharing the gospel with them? Are you gospelizing those people? Or in praying that God would comfort a grieving family, are you sharing the gospel with them? Of course not. Thirdly, inviting someone to church is not evangelism. They should be evangelized when they actually attend, if the church is a gospel-preaching church. But the invitation itself is not evangelism, because the gospel is not 
you're invited to attend church. Thankfully, the good news is much better news than that. Nor is a church itself evangelizing when it hosts, say for example, like we did last year, a free barbecue and fish fry for people from the neighborhood around the church building. Obviously, we did it, so we're not saying it's a bad thing. We're not saying you shouldn't do that. It's a good thing to do, a fine thing to do. But in giving people fish cakes and hot dogs, we're not giving them the message of eternal life. We're not gospelizing. We're not evangelizing. All of these are good things. It's right to incorporate God naturally into our daily lives. Speaking of Him throughout the day. It's right to say warmly and sincerely to someone, I'm praying for you. Or to say to someone, God bless you. That's, that's good. To give thanks before a meal. To, if, you, if you're the bumper sticker type, go ahead and throw one on your car. That's fine. No one's saying you can't do those things or you shouldn't do those things. In fact, we talk about what we love. And we'll, we'll speak about that a little bit more later on in the sermon. And so it's, it's right and natural and healthy for God talk so to speak, to bubble out of us. It's right to invite people to church. It's right to build relationships with friends and neighbors with the hope of evangelizing in the future. It's good even to do pre-evangelism and have the necessary prerequisite conversations so that someone will actually listen when it is that it's time to speak about the gospel. But none of those things are evangelism proper. Evangelism is gospelism. Evangelizing is gospelizing. I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have heard the saying, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Well, that's a ridiculous statement because the gospel is words. Remember that the gospel means good News. If you turned on CBC on an evening and the person just stood there smiling, being real friendly, maybe gave someone else some fish cakes on camera, you would say, you would say, what are they doing? Where's the news? You see, they could be a fine person, a friendly person. They could, they could serve their neighbors and even do so on camera. But unless they speak, you don't get the news. And so it is with the gospel. You can't preach the gospel without using words. Because the gospel is good news. So you can't gospelize without the gospel. You can't evangelize without the evangelion. If the words of the gospel aren't there... The gospel's not there. Evangelism is not, therefore, wordless interactions. Neither is evangelism non-gospel words. So just because you're speaking, unless you're speaking gospel or good news, you're not evangelizing. Evangelism is the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. As the only sufficient basis of mankind's salvation. And the attached call for a response of faith and repentance. 
That is evangelism. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How are you going to make disciples without telling them that they must become disciples? How are you going to baptize anyone without them first believing? As it says, go and baptize the disciples that you've made. How are they going to believe a message without first hearing a message? Matthew 28, 19 and following, the Great Commission (coughs) presupposes Words, proclamation, and proclamation of Christ. This is also the logic of Romans 10, 13 to 17, which we read a few moments ago. Paul begins with a statement, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some wonderful words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This statement is the glorious announcement that there is salvation to be found in Christ. The gospel is that we are dying Perishing, as we spoke a few weeks ago from John chapter 3, poisoned, condemned, remaining under the wrath of God. As Ephesians 2 puts it, not just dying, but dead in trespasses and sins. We need to be saved from the wrath of God that abides on us outside of Christ Jesus. We need to be saved then from the inner condition of deadness. We need to be saved from the eternal destiny of life forever apart from God in conscious torment, which is the manifestation of God's wrath towards sinners. We need to be saved. Saved. And Paul says in Romans 10.13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You look to Jesus in your deadness. You look to Jesus because of the poison running through your veins. I am as those who were poisoned by the snakes in the desert so long ago looked upon that bronze serpent. And you will find that you will live. Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 tells us, Christ Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Everyone who looks Upon Jesus Christ, the Son of Man lifted up will live. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Last week I spoke to you about Calvinism and Arminianism. Both Calvinists and Arminians believe and preach what I just told you. As my friend said, who is himself a Reformed Baptist pastor, both Calvinists and Arminians preach the same gospel, you know. You're thirsty. There's the pipe. Go turn it on and take a drink. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is salvation found in none other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Cry out to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Only He can save you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Every one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means your co-worker who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your nephew, your grandchild. Every one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the man or the woman or the boy or the girl in another country where Christ has never yet been preached. If they should call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul goes on to say in Romans 10, 14, How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? It's a pretty simple question, isn't it? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Brothers and sisters, there is a wonderful message. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Gospel. Good news for sinners. But how can sinners believe the news if they never heard the news? We ought to evangelize. We ought to gospelize. It is our duty. Jesus makes it clear in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. Out of obedience to our Savior, we must go and make disciples. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. Go and make disciples. One implication of this is that we should not only take opportunities to evangelize, but as I've said so many times, and will keep saying, until they put me in the ground, we must also make opportunities. How many times in your life has someone come to you as the Philippian jailer came to Paul, desperate, and saying, what must I do to be saved? My guess is that for most of us, that has never happened. It's possible that for some of us, a close family member or a friend who knows something of your relationship to God may have asked you a question similar to that. But my guess is for most of us, that has literally never happened. So if you are waiting to gospelize until someone comes to you and says, what must I do to be saved? 
You're going to be waiting a long time. That's like going fishing and waiting for a fish to jump in the boat. It could happen. And I'm sure it has happened somewhere at some time. But going to make disciples is like getting a line in the water. That's the way you fish. I used to work at a factory that produced frozen juice. And it was a 24-hour factory. They were shut down only for the weekend. And so they would work 24 hours from Sunday night at 11 until Friday night at 11. And I used to work in the yard shunting trailers around, moving big trailers full of juice around in the yard. And I worked there for two years. And every day on my way to work, I would pray for my coworkers. And I would pray that the Lord would give me opportunities to talk to them. And I would pray for the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to answer them properly and satisfactorily and winsomely and so on and so forth. I was so zealous for evangelism. But you know what I was doing, my critical error? I was waiting for conversations to come up. The time came when I gave my resignation and I was moving on from that job and I realized that two years had gone by. You know how many actual gospel conversations I had had in those two years with my coworkers there? One. And you know how many I'd had about significant spiritual issues? Like maybe five to ten. In two years. In two years. Because I was waiting for it to come up. I wasn't going to make disciples. I was waiting for them to jump into the boat. And so I resolved at my next job to go and make disciples. Not only to take opportunities when they come up, but to make them. And in my next job, let me tell you, man, I was making, I was creating the most awkward situations <laughs> and having, having more awkward and just embarrassing and weird conversations than you could imagine. <laughs> because I was always trying to talk to my coworkers about Jesus. And yeah, it was uncomfortable. And yeah, it was kind of unpleasant at times. But I was I, in my next job, actually, it ended up being for only six months. And I'd, I had shared the gospel with probably at least 50% of the people who I worked with, if not more. The gospel. Gospelizing. There's a big difference between simply taking opportunities and making opportunities. A big difference. We ought to evangelize. We ought to go making opportunities to evangelize. It's our duty. But what of our motivations? What besides duty ought to motivate us for evangelism? But well, we ought to evangelize out of love for God. We ought to be desirous to talk about, as Solomon put it, the one whom my soul loves. We ought to be desirous to talk about God and what He has done for us in the gospel. We talk about what we love. You talk about what you love. If you could get a transcript 
of the last week's conversation and then run it through some computer system that would show you how many times certain words came up. If you looked at the words that were the top hits, you'd, you'd get a feel for what you love. I could talk to you all day about dogs, dog training, American football, or a number of other things. How cold toward God must my heart be when I am less interested in talking about Him and His salvation as I am in talking about these lesser things. And it's the same for you. How cold our hearts must be if we don't want to talk about Jesus. We ought to be desirous to talk about God simply because we love Him. And our love for God leads to evangelism in another way also. In making converts, we're making worshipers. When someone comes to faith in Christ, they become one who loves, adores, serves, and praises our great God and Savior. Our love for God should propel us to do what we can to see Him receive the worship that He's due. Our brother read to us earlier in the service from Psalm 96 as our call to worship. That psalm says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due, due His name. It's not optional to ascribe glory to God. Glory is due His name. And it's not just do His name from me and from you and from all the other Christians around the world. God's name is due glory from all of creation. Which includes every person walking the face of this earth. And so our love for God should propel us to do what we can to see Him receive the worship that He is due. So we ought to evangelize out of love for God. We ought to also evangelize out of love for our fellow man. And this is the one that typically gets the most attention when you hear a sermon on evangelism. Biblical evangelism is propelled not only by a desire to see God receive the worship He's due, but also a desire to see people saved. After all, the enterprise of evangelism is undergirded by the presupposition that those who have never heard of Christ are, as Romans 1 and verse 20 says, without excuse. Through the things that have been made, Romans 1 tells us, mankind has been rendered without excuse. They know enough about God to be guilty for rejecting Him, for disobeying Him, for refusing to honor Him as Creator, give thanks to Him, for breaking His law, which Romans chapter 2 tells us has been written on their hearts. The assumption of Paul in Romans 10 also is that those who do not call on the name of the Lord will not be saved. It's simply the inverse truth of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
everyone who does not call on the name of the Lord will not be saved. How can we be indifferent to the plight of our fellow man? Should we not care that they perish? There's a famous atheist, you may have heard me tell this story before, named Penn Gillette, who said that he doesn't respect Christians who don't evangelize. This is coming from an atheist. The reason he said that he doesn't respect Christians that don't evangelize is that if Christians believe what they really say they believe, then how cold-hearted and unloving must they be towards the people around them? Not to make a point to talk about Jesus and the gospel. If faith in Christ really is necessary for salvation from an eternity in hell, Pendulette urges us to consider how unloving do we have to be not to tell people to repent and believe in Christ Jesus. God Himself says in 2 Peter 3.9 that He is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Are we not to have the same heart towards our fellow man? So we ought to evangelize out of love for our fellow man, as well as out of love for God. Thirdly, and relating evangelism back to last week's sermon on unconditional election, as you remember that this is a sermon that I first preached during our conference, which was on the theme of evangelism in relation to the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election is a motivation to evangelism. The doctrine of unconditional election is a motivation to evangelism. Paul's understanding of election as discussed last week, encourages us that no one is too far gone. There is no consideration of works, either good or bad, in the matter of God's choosing of one individual for salvation over another. Perhaps you have a friend or a family member hurtling Himself or herself down the wrong path which ends at the gates of hell. Perhaps you've shared the gospel many times and there seems to be no receptivity. Brothers and sisters, Paul himself was such a man. Paul was out to kill Christians and if he could eradicate the name of Christ from the earth. Many throughout church history have been such men. Some of us have been such men in a former life. But God has chosen to save many a lost cause. Paul's understanding of unconditional election, as discussed last week, also encourages us that as God said to Paul in Acts 18 and verse 10, when we come to a new city or a new country, a new people group, perhaps with the gospel in our efforts to do world missions, 
that God has many people in that place. Keep preaching. Keep preaching, for I have many people in this place. There are those who will hear and believe. We can be confident that as was the case in Acts 13, 48, that as we preach the gospel, all who are appointed to eternal life will believe. Election is a great encouragement to evangelism. It guarantees the salvation of some. And assures us that God may yet have His sights set upon those who seem to us too far gone. Election is one, as you can see, among many motivations for evangelism. And election speaks not only to motivations, but to methods. What can make the dead alive? What are the means that God intends to use? The proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is the only sufficient basis for mankind's salvation. And calling for a response of faith and repentance from those who hear is the means that God intends to use. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We need to preach. We need men in our pulpits with fire in their bones preaching the gospel. Like Jeremiah who said, I tried to stop, but I just couldn't because it was like a fire shut up in me. I had to preach. Men who believe that this is true. We're going to stand up and keep Preaching Christ. This method is not antiquated or outdated. As so many in our day and age will tell us, it is God's ordained means to save His elect people. And we need church members to take the gospel into their spheres of influence. Earnestly. Lovingly, urgently, speaking of Christ and His salvation to those who have yet to believe. This method is not antiquated or outdated. It is God's ordained means to save His elect people. How were they going to believe in Him of whom they never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. It's not rocket science. We got to keep telling people about Jesus. We got to take that message to them. We got to not only take opportunities when they come up, but make them. We need to understand that God has, as God has ordained the end, so He has ordained the means. The proclamation of the gospel. We don't need gimmicks. We need the proclamation of the word of God. And the power of the spirit of God. 
That's what we need for people to be saved. You remember a couple years ago that I spoke about some of my concerns about the Impact World campaign that came to Barbados. You remember they had uh, skateboarders, muscle men, all this kind of stuff, and they were basically putting on big rallies to gather the youth and bring the youth in. And then we're told that they would preach the gospel to them. And I can't remember how many they said they were believing God for to come to faith. The results of that self-reported by Impact World were that 22,378 people came to faith in Christ. I hope some really did come. But I'm highly skeptical that 22,378 came to new life in Christ. To the new birth. To counting all things as loss compared to knowing Christ. To repenting of their sins. Not looking back as Jesus said, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know why I'm skeptical? Because it seems to me that nothing has really changed in this island. And I don't think that you could have 10% of this island converted and nothing changed. If all of those people were dispersed evenly across all the churches in Barbados, every church would grow by 75. Where, where are the droves of converts who've come in? It's fine if they're not in this church. There's lots of good gospel preaching churches around the island. But what church did they go to? What churches did they flock to? To satisfy that new hunger that they found in their hearts for the Word of God when the Spirit brought them from death to life? Where are they going to drink of that living water? Which, having drunk, as Jesus says to the woman in Samaria, and never thirst again. Where are they going to fellowship with those of whom the scripture says, if you've been born of God, you're going to love. You're going to love the brethren. In which context are they loving on the brethren? Where are they? I don't doubt the sincerity of those who ran this campaign. They want to see people come to faith in Christ. And so do I. I don't even doubt that some were saved. I'm sure some were. But the transformation that the Bible speaks of 
when somebody becomes a Christian? Is more profound than what we've seen happen. The Spirit of God is not so weak as to try to make a person new and leave him or her effectively unchanged. When the Spirit of God changes a person, we say, Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. Yes, there's remaining corruption, but there's marked change. This is where I'm going with all this. The means by which people experience that change and become new is just good old-fashioned evangelism. It's churches where the Bible is preached and Christ is preached from the Bible. It's family members going into their families and telling people about Jesus and urging them to repent and have faith. It's people going into the workplace with Christ on their lips and telling them. Romans 10 tells us the Holy Spirit uses that to make people new. To make people new. The impact world mindset, this is where they've gone wrong. The impact world mindset is something like this. That's not working, so let's try something new. Brothers and sisters, if it seems that our preaching is not working, if it seems that our evangelism is not working, Don't be too quick to call for the skateboarders and muscle men. We don't need them. Instead, what if we got on our knees and sought the Lord for the conversion of those whom we desire to see come? What if we prayed more earnestly, more devotedly, and not just talked to Men about God, but as has famously been said, talk to God about men. Is it the case that in Barbados that we've been preaching with fervor, with spiritual power, opening up the scriptures faithfully week after week, and between Sundays we've been on our knees? Wearing out holes in the knees of our trousers. Putting blisters on our kneecaps. And we're praying and praying and praying. And it's not working? I think we've defaulted too quickly. We tend to default too quickly to the skateboarders and the muscle men. Or to some other method. 
when the means that God has ordained to the end that He has also ordained is the proclamation of Christ. Romans 9 tells us about unconditional election. But Paul goes on from there straight into Romans 10 to say, listen, the elect cannot believe unless you tell them. And you can't tell them unless you go to them. So go and preach because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And be confident that He who has ordained the end that so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so shall believe has also ordained the means. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So let's embrace biblical motives for evangelism as well as the biblical method of evangelism that the Scripture gives us to preach Christ and to seek for the power of the Spirit in our preaching of Christ and our proclamation of Christ. When I say preaching, I'm using it loosely. You don't have to stand in the pulpit, but going into your families, going into your workplaces, going into your circles of influence and ask, Oh God, anoint me for this work. Open blind eyes, unlock deaf ears. Oh God, how am I supposed to preach to a valley of dry bones? Never mind that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Preach. And trust that he who has ordained that those dry bones should live will by his spirit cause you to see flesh come upon them and tendons come upon them and cause you to hear a rattling sound as you do what He has commanded us to do. Trust that He who has ordained the end that those who are appointed to eternal life shall believe has also appointed the means. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So evangelism is our duty. Election ought to motivate us and to shape the methods that we use.